Chapter Twelve, Part Two of Mount Royal, Volume Three by Mary Elizabeth Braden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve, Part Two. He was dressed for the day, carefully dressed, like a man who, in a crisis of his life, wishes to appear at no disadvantage. His pistol case stood ready on the table. A pair of candles, burnt low in the sockets of the old silver candlesticks, and a heap of charred and torn paper in the fender showed that the baron had been getting rid of superfluous documents. Christabel went into the room, followed by Jessie, the baron staring at them both in blank amazement. He drew an armchair near the expiring fire, and Christabel sank into it, exhausted and half-fainting. "'What does it all mean?' asked de Cazalet, looking at Jessie. "'And why are you here with her?' why is she here asked jessie there can be no reason except she touched her forehead lightly with the tips of her fingers christabel saw the action no i am not mad now she said i believe i have been mad but that is all over monsieur de cazalet you and my husband are to fight a duel this morning on her with sands my dear mrs tregonell what a strange notion don't take the trouble to deny anything i overheard your conversation yesterday afternoon i know everything would it not have been better to keep the knowledge to yourself and to remember your promise to me last night yes i remember that promise i said i would meet you at bodmin road after you had shot my husband there was not a word about shooting your husband no but the fact was in our minds all the same in yours as well as in mine only there was one difference between us you thought that when you had killed leonard i would run away with you that was to be your recompense for murder i meant that you should kill him but that you should never see my face again you would have served my purpose you would have been the instrument of my revenge christabel do not call me by that name i am nothing to you i never could under any possible phase of circumstances be any nearer to you than i am at this moment from first to last i have been acting a part when i saw you at that shooting match on the riffle i said to myself here is a man who in any encounter with my husband must be fatal my husband killed the only man i ever loved in a duel without witnesses a duel forced upon him by insane and causeless jealousy whether that meeting was fair or unfair in its actual details i cannot tell but at the best it was more like a murder than a duel when through miss bridgman's acuteness i came to understand what that meeting had been i made up my mind to avenge mr hamley's death for a long time my brain was under a cloud i could think of nothing plan nothing then came clearer thoughts and then i met you and the scheme of my revenge flashed upon me like a suggestion direct from satan i knew my husband's jealous temper and how easy it would be to fire a train there and i made my plans with that view you lent yourself very easily to my scheme lent myself cried the baron indignantly and then with a savage oath he said i loved you mrs tregonell and you made me believe that you loved me i let you make fine speeches and i pretended to be pleased at them answered christabel with supreme scorn i think that was all no madam it was not all you fooled me to the top of my bent what those lovely looks those lowered accents all meant nothing it was all a delusion an acted lie you never cared for me no answered christabel my heart was buried with the dead i never loved but one man and he was murdered as i believed 
and i made up my mind to avenge his murder whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed that sentence was in my mind always when i thought of leonard tregonell i meant you to be the executioner and now now god knows how the light has come but the god i worshipped when i was a happy sinless girl has called me out of the deep pit of sin called me to remorse and atonement you must not fight this duel you must save me from this horrible crime that i planned save me and yourself from blood guiltiness you must not meet leonard at trebarwith and stamp myself as a cur to oblige you after having lent myself so simply to your scheme of vengeance lend myself as complacently to your repentance no mrs tregonell that is too much to ask i will be your bravo if you like since i took the part unconsciously but i will not brand myself with the charge of cowardice even for you you fought a duel in south america and killed your adversary mr fitzjesse told me so everybody knows that you are a dead shot who can call you a coward for refusing to shoot the man whose roof has sheltered you who never injured you against whom you can have no ill-will don't be too sure of that he is your husband when i came to mount royal i came resolved to win you only because i had deceived you the woman you admired was a living lie oh if you could have looked into my heart only yesterday you must have shrunk from me with loathing when i led you on to play the seducer's part i was plotting murder murder which i called justice i knew that leonard was listening i had so planned that he should follow us to the kiev i heard his stealthy footsteps and the rustle of the boughs you were too much engrossed to listen but all my senses were strained and i knew the very moment of his coming it is a pity you did not let your drama come to its natural denouement sneered de cazalet furious with the first woman who had ever completely fooled him when your husband was dead for there is not much doubt as to my killing him you and i could have come to an understanding you must have had some gratitude however i am not bloodthirsty and since mrs tregonell has cheated me out of my devotion fooled me with daydreams of an impossible future i don't see that i should gain much by shooting mr tregonell no there would be no good to you in that profitless bloodshed it is i who have wronged you i who wilfully deceived you degrading myself in order to lure my husband into a fatal quarrel tempting you to kill him forgive me if you can and forget this wild wicked dream conscience and reason came back to me beside that quiet grave to-night what good could it do him who lies there that blood should be spilt for his sake monsieur de cazalet if you will give up all idea of this duel i will be grateful to you for the rest of my life you have treated me very cruelly said the baron taking both her hands and looking into her eyes half in despairing love half in bitterest anger you have fooled me as never man was fooled before i think tricked me and trifled with me and i owe you very little allegiance if you and i were in south america i would show you very little mercy no my sweet one i would make you play out the game you should finish the drama you began finish it in my fashion but in this world of yours hemmed round with conventionalities i am obliged to let you off easily as for your husband well i have exposed my life too often to the aim of a six-shooter to be called coward if i let this one opportunity slip he is nothing to me or i to him since you are nothing to me he may go and i may go 
i will leave a line to tell him that we have both been the dupes of a pretty little acted charade devised by his wife and her friends and instead of going to meet him at trebarwith i'll drive straight to launceston and catch the early train will that satisfy you mrs tregonell i thank you with all my heart and soul you have saved me from myself you are a much better man than i thought you baron said jessie speaking for the first time she had stood by a quiet spectator of the scene listening intently ready at any moment to come to christabel's rescue if need were understanding for the first time the moving springs of conduct which had been so long a mystery to her thank you miss bridgman i suppose you were in the plot looked on and laughed in your sleeve as you saw how a man of the world may be fooled by sweet words and lovely looks i knew nothing i thought mrs tregonell possessed by the devil if she had let you go on if you had shot her husband i should not have been sorry for him for i know he killed a much better man than himself and i am hard enough to hug the stern old law a life for a life but i should have been sorry for her she is not made for such revenges and now you will be reconciled with your husband i suppose mrs tregonell you too will agree to forget the past and to live happily ever afterwards sneered the cazalet looking up from the letter which he was writing no there can be no forgetfulness for either of us i have to do my duty to my son i have to win god's pardon for the guilty thoughts and plans which have filled my mind so long but i owe no duty to mr tregonell he has forfeited every claim may i see your letter when it is finished de cazalet handed it to her without a word a brief epistle written in the airiest tone ascribing all that had happened at the kiev to a sportive plot of mrs tregonell's and taking a polite leave of the master of the house when he reads that i shall be half-way to launceston he said as christabel gave him back the letter i am deeply grateful to you and now good-bye she said gravely offering him her hand he pressed the cold slim hand in his and gently raised it to his lips you have used me very badly but i shall love and honour you to the end of my days he said as christabel left him jessie was following but de cazalet stopped her on the threshold come he said you must give me the clue to this mystery surely you were in it you who know her so well must have known something of this i knew nothing i watched her with fear and wonder after after mr hamley's death she was very ill mentally ill she sank into a kind of apathy not madness but terribly near the confines of madness then suddenly her spirits seemed to revive she became eager for movement amusement an utterly different creature from her former self she and i who had been like sisters seemed ever so far apart i could not understand this new phase of her character for a whole year she had been unlike herself a terrible year thank god this morning i have seen the old christabel again half an hour afterwards the baron's dog-cart drove out of the yard and half an hour after his departure the baron's letter was delivered to leonard tregonell who muttered an oath as he finished reading it and then handed it to his faithful jack what do you say to that he asked by jove i knew mrs t was straight answered the captain in his unsophisticated phraseology but it was a shabby trick to play you all the same i dare say mop and dop were in it those girls are always ready for larks leonard muttered something the reverse of polite about dop and mop and went straight to the stable-yard where he cancelled his order for the trap which was to have conveyed him to trebor with sands and where he heard of the baron's departure for launceston 
mystified and angry he went straight upstairs to his wife's room all barriers were broken down now all reticence was at an end plainest words straightest measures befitted the present state of things christabel was on her knees in a recess near her bed a recess which held a little table with her devotional books and a prie-dieu chair a beautiful head of the salvator mundi painted on china at munich gave beauty and sanctity to this little oratory she was kneeling on the prie-dieu her arms folded on the purple velvet cushion her head leaning forward on the folded arms in an attitude of prostration and self-abandonment her hair falling loosely over her white dressing-gown she rose at leonard's entrance and confronted him a ghost-like figure deadly pale your lover has given me the slip he said roughly why didn't you go with him you mean to go i have no doubt you have both made your plans to that end but you want to sneak away to get clear of this country perhaps before people have found out what you are women of your stamp don't mind what scandal they create but they like to be out of the row you are mistaken his wife answered coldly unmoved by his anger as she had ever been untouched by his love the man who left here this morning was never my lover never could have been had he and i lived under the same roof for years but i intended him for the avenger of the one man whom i did love with all my heart and soul the man you killed what do you mean faltered leonard with a dull grey shade creeping over his face it had been in his mind for a long time that his secret was suspected by his wife but this straight sudden avowal of the fact was not the less a shock to him you know what i mean did you not know when you came back to this house that i had fathomed your mystery that i knew whose hand killed angus hamley you did know it leonard you must have known for you knew that i was not a woman to fling a wife's duty to the winds without some all-sufficient reason you knew what kind of wife i had been for four dull peaceful years how honestly i had endeavoured to perform the duty which i took upon myself in loving gratitude to your dear mother did you believe that i could change all at once become a heartless empty-headed lover of pleasure hold you my husband at arm's length outrage propriety defy opinion without a motive so powerful a purpose so deadly and so dear that self-abasement loss of good name counted for nothing with me you are a fool said leonard doggedly no one at the inquest so much as hinted at foul play why should you suspect any one for more than one good reason first your manner on the night before angus hamley's death the words you and he spoke to each other at the door of his room i asked you then if there were any quarrel between you and you said no but even then i did not believe you there was not much love between us you did not expect that did you asked her husband savagely you invited him to your house you treated him as your friend you had no cause to distrust him or me you must have known that i knew that you loved him i had been your faithful and obedient wife faithful and obedient yes a man might buy faith and obedience in any market i knew that other man was master of your heart great heaven can i forget how i saw you that night hanging upon his words all your soul in your eyes we were talking of life and death it was not his words that thrilled me but the deep thoughts they stirred within me thoughts of the great mystery the life beyond the veil do you know what it is to speculate upon the life beyond this life when you are talking to a man who bears the stamp of death upon his brow who is as surely devoted to the grave as socrates was when he talked to his friends in the prison 
but why do i talk to you of these things you cannot understand no i am outside the pale am i not sneered leonard made of a different clay from that sickly sentimental worshipper of yours who turned to you when he had worn himself out in the worship of ballet girls i was not half fine enough for you could not talk of shakespeare and the musical glasses was it a pleasant sensation for me do you think to see you two sentimentalizing and poetizing day after day beethoven here and byron there and all the train of maudlin modern versifiers who have made it their chief business to sap the foundations of domestic life why did you bring him into your house why can't you guess because i wanted to know the utmost and the worst to watch you two together to see what venom was left in the old poison to make sure if i could that you were staunch to put you to the test god knows i never faltered throughout that ordeal said christabel solemnly and yet you murdered him you asked me how i know of that murder shall i tell you you were at the kiev that day you did not go by the beaten track where the ploughman must have seen you no you crept in by stealth the other way clambered over the rocks ah you start you wonder how i know that you tore your coat in the scramble across the arch and a fragment of the cloth was caught upon a bramble i have that scrap of cloth and i have the shooting jacket from which it was torn under lock and key in yonder wardrobe now will you deny that you were at the kiev that day no i was there hamley met me there by appointment you were right in your suspicion that night we did quarrel not about you but about his treatment of that vandeleur girl i thought he had led her on flirted with her fooled her you thought ejaculated christabel with ineffable scorn well i told him so at any rate told him that he would not have dared to treat any woman so scurvily with her brother and her brother's friend standing by if the good old wholesome code of honour had not gone out of fashion i told him that forty years ago in the duelling age men had been shot for a smaller offence against good feeling and then he rounded on me and asked me if i wanted to shoot him if i was trying to provoke a quarrel and then i hardly know how the thing came about it was agreed that we should meet at the kiev at nine o'clock next morning both equipped as if for woodcock shooting game bag dogs and all our guns loaded with swan shot and that we should settle our differences face to face in that quiet hollow without witnesses if either of us dropped the thing would seem an accident and would entail no evil consequences upon the survivor if one of us were only wounded why but you did not mean that interrupted christabel with flashing eyes you meant your shot to be fatal it was fatal muttered leonard never mind what i meant god knows how i felt when it was over and that man was lying dead on the other side of the bridge i had seen many a noble beast with something almost human in the look of him go down before my gun but i had never shot a man before who could have thought there would have been so much difference christabel clasped her hands over her face and drew back with an involuntary recoil as if all the horror of that dreadful scene were being at this moment enacted before her eyes never had the thought of angus hamley's fate been out of her mind in all the year that was ended to-day this day the anniversary of his death the image of that deed had been ever before her mental vision beckoning her and guiding her along the pathway of revenge a lurid light you murdered him she said in low steadfast tones you brought him to this house with evil intent yes with your mind full of hatred and malice towards him you acted the traitor's base hypocritical part smiling at him and pretending friendship 
while in your soul you meant murder and then under this pitiful mockery of a duel a duel with a man who had never injured you who had no resentment against you a duel upon the shallowest most preposterous pretense you kill your friend and your guest you kill him in a lonely place with none of the safeguards of ordinary duelling and you have not the manhood to stand up before your fellow-men and say i did it shall i go and tell them now asked leonard his white lips tremulous with impotent rage they would hang me most likely perhaps that is what you want no i never wanted that answered christabel for our boy's sake for the honour of your dead mother's name i would have saved you from a shameful death but i wanted your life a life for a life that is why i tried to provoke your jealousy why i planned that scene with the baron yesterday i knew that in a duel between you and him the chances were all in his favour i had seen and heard of his skill you fell easily into the trap i laid for you i was behind the bushes when you challenged de Cazalet. it was a plot then you had been plotting my death all that time your songs and dances and games and folly all meant the same thing yes i plotted your death as you did angus hamley's answered christabel slowly deliberately with steady eyes fixed on her husband's face only i relented at the eleventh hour you did not leonard stared at her in dumb amazement this new aspect of his wife's character paralyzed his thinking powers which had never been vigorous he felt as if in the midst of a smooth summer sea he had found himself suddenly face to face with that huge wave known on this wild northern coast which generated by some mysterious power in the wide atlantic rolls on its deadly course in overwhelming might engulfing many a craft which but a minute before was riding gaily on a summer sea yes you have cause to look at me with horror in your eyes said christabel i have steeped my soul in sin i have plotted your death in the purpose and pursuit of my life i have been a murderer it is god's mercy that held me back from that black gulf what gain would your death have been to your victim would he have slept more peacefully in his grave or have awakened happier on the judgment day if he had consciousness and knowledge in that dim mysterious world he would have been sorry for the ruin of my soul sorry for satan's power over the woman he once loved last night kneeling on his grave these thoughts came into my mind for the first time i think it was the fact of being near him almost as if there was some sympathy between the living and the dead leonard i know how wicked i have been god pity and pardon me and make me a worthy mother for my boy for you and me there can be nothing but life-long parting well yes i suppose there would not be much chance of comfort or union for us after what has happened said leonard moodily ours is hardly a case in which to kiss again with tears as your song says i must be content to go my way and let you go yours it is a pity we ever married but that was my fault i suppose have you any particular views as to your future i shall not molest you but i should be glad to know that the lady who bears my name is leading a reputable life i shall live with my son for my son you need have no fear that i shall make myself a conspicuous person in the world i have done with life except for him i care very little where i live if you want mount royal for yourself i can have the old house at penley made comfortable for jessie bridgman and me i dare say i can be as happy at penley as here i don't want this house i detest it 
do you suppose i am going to waste my life in england or in europe jack and i can start on our travels again the world is wide enough there are two continents on which i have never set foot i shall start for calcutta to-morrow if i can and explore the whole of india before i turn my face westwards again i think we understand each other fully now stay there is one thing i am to see my son when and as often as i please i suppose i will not interfere with your rights as a father i am glad of that and now i suppose there is no more to be said i leave your life my honour in your own keeping good-bye god be with you she answered solemnly giving that parting salutation its fullest meaning and so without touch of lip or hand they parted for a lifetime End of chapter 12